0: hey welcome to socialism for all this is s4a live stream number 92 being recorded on april 6 2023 Uh, this is the second stream for the week and normally we just stream on wednesday but um i wanted to do some covid stuff and it just didn't really fit into the other stream that we did so this is the spillover stream i may actually do more Thursday streams for a while until we get more caught up on the COVID stuff because I just don't have it in me right now to do like a three-day marathon like I did at the end of the year. Um, but we, there is a lot of COVID stuff to catch up on and to remind people of. We are in kind of a COVID lull right now, but that's not really going to last. So anyway, um, as far as introductions, we'll keep it short today. If you're new to Socialism for All, you're not alone. Uh, we're picking up about five or 600 subscribers a month, so that's great, but it is a lot of new people to welcome into the fold. Uh, so welcome. I'm a U.S. American studying Marxism, specifically anti-revisionist Marxism-Leninism, and we do audiobooks on the channel. I make notes and comments in the audiobooks uh, to help myself and to help uh, newer I almost said younger, newer. <laughs> There's plenty of uh, people older in age, but new to Marxism. So anyway, uh, newer listeners to uh, understand difficult concepts and uh, you know, teaching it kind of helps me um, learn it as well. Uh, so yeah, that's mostly what we do. We also do these streams, current events. We talk about COVID a lot because COVID is not over and we have no reason to think that it's gonna end on its own. And that's, if you're new to that concept, you're going to hear a lot about it on this stream. Uh, If you've been listening to people like Joe Biden or other major heads of state around the world, um, you know, you would think that COVID is over. It definitely, definitely is not. We're in a lull right now, but, uh, you know, again, it's not going to last. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that's the brief introduction. For a longer introduction, see the About tab on the YouTube page or... Uh, yesterday's stream but I'm not gonna go through that uh, 20 minute process again today okay so who's with us in the chat right now we've got 44 viewers here at twitch.tv slash socialism for all and we're gonna talk about some stuff and we're gonna read some articles and that's gonna be today's stream I'm here for the straight dope on the current state of COVID. s4a is a COVID Oracle well Really, I'm just somebody who um, has, you know, some amount of education in biology and health matters, and uh, I read a lot of COVID articles, so that's what we do. We've been following this really since the start of the pandemic. Um, You know, Joe Biden came in with, I have a plan and trust the science, and then literally four months later, it was, vax and relax, take your mask off. No, don't do that. He basically destroyed the uh, entire collective response to COVID that the USA had going and uh, just caved to the right wing. I mean, if you recall, in late 2020, um, Nancy Pelosi in Congress had um, opposed Well, basically if you were getting the unemployment benefits that year in 2020, Uh, you didn't get them or you got a very minimal amount of them between august and december because she was uh saying oh the republicans the mean nasty republicans are trying to attach a clause to the benefits bill that would allow corporations to set up um like slush funds and not be accountable and you know they want to pass legislation that says that If an employer or a business, um, people get sick on their premises, that they wouldn't be liable for it. Well, I mean, go ahead to even six months later. Any concept of that level of accountability just completely went out the window. But it was I mean, so they never meant that ever. But it was a convenient way not to give people the extended benefits for five months in 2020. and, and so on. It's just been a complete shit show. So uh, now they're going to end the pandemic legal status entirely. And that's going to mean that it's going to be on states to give people the continue to give people the free vaccines. Some will, some won't. It's, uh, a lot of states are going to be uh, kicking people off of the expanded Medicaid. It's going to be a shit show. And that's coming in about five weeks, uh, May 11th. I believe is the date. So uh let me just double check that. May 11 pandemic uh Come on. Dramatic pause. Yeah. COVID emergency in the US ends May 11. And Biden anyway had options here did not choose to exercise any of them. So Biden basically oversaw the dismantling of the COVID response in the US and now people very few people are boosted the vaccines do wear off with time the protection drops the longer you know the more time goes by Uh, they do reduce um, your chances of getting the most severe health outcomes long covid hospitalization death you know organ damage all that stuff but they don't bring it down to zero so you still have to stop uh spreading it you have to stop catching it and stop spreading it that means masking you know we need uh, testing in schools at all levels k through grad school we need uh, any large institution needs to be testing people on a weekly basis contact tracing we need to actually try to stop this thing not throw our hands up and say oh well what can be done covid is not just a you know cold or a flu it's not even just a respiratory virus as even the cdc tries to make it out It's a cardiovascular illness. It is a neurological illness. Like this virus um, targets any organ in your body, any tissue that has ACE2 receptors. That's the male reproductive system, kidneys, liver, lungs, um, brainstem, it can cross the blood-brain barrier and get into your brain itself, Um, the heart, on and on. The gut is often a reservoir, so your intestines like all of your major organs it attacks and kills T cells. So it has really, really wide reaching damage. It's linked to increased incidence of heart attacks, strokes, um, clotting disorders of all kinds, uh, pain, um, inability to sleep, emotional disturbances, intellectual impairment, all, all kinds of things. So SARS coronavirus two, the virus that causes COVID, is a very serious thing and we can't just let it spread. We wouldn't do this with HIV. You know, oh, just catch it 20 times, maybe then you'll become immune. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. And in fact, before we even get into the chat, I wanna get into something. So in live stream number 90 last week, last Wednesday's stream, I um, closed with a video that, or uh, sorry, with an article that I wound up editing out of what I posted because there was a real curveball at the end. It was this guy Michael Mina, I think his name is, who has done good work in the past on the uh, measles, uh, documenting measles' ability to basically press the reset button on your immune memory. It like wipes out your immune memory when you get this virus, and uh, so viruses can have far-reaching effects in the body beyond the sort of acute symptoms that we usually see, whether it's, you know, fever, or pneumonia, or like those various things that crop up in the first few weeks, they can have, you know, months and months after the fact, um, systemic, more invisible effects in the body, but which you will end up feeling at some point, you know, for example, like COVID, um, wiping out a lot of your T cells, Well, what do you need T cells for? Well, to fight infection, and also to fight emerging cancers in your body and things like that. So after five years of letting COVID run wild, are we going to see incidents of, um, cancer go way up because people's immune systems are impaired. I think it's a likely hypothesis. So anyway, that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, but he had written this article that was saying COVID is a textbook virus. And I liked about the first three quarters of it because it was like everything we know about viruses that we know things about show that they tend to have wide ranging effects in the body that are unpredictable. They don't seem tied to the acute symptoms. They can wreak all kinds of havoc in your body. And um, that's viruses. So that COVID would do that or, you know, that SARS-2 would do that is not surprising because that's really what most virus, the typical virus that we know of does things like that. Um, And so, you know, it's serious and we should take it seriously. But then at the very end, he totally contradicted himself and uh, started saying that like, well, you know, we can't avoid it and blah, blah, blah. Yes, we fucking can. Ventilation, filtration, masking, testing, quarantine, contact tracing. You absolutely do not have to just give into this thing and like after you know playing up or acknowledging you know accurately realistically acknowledging um how serious sars 2 is not just in the acute sense but the long-term sense he then was like well let's just keep getting um infected for 50 years and see what happens and he was trying to make this other argument that basically said that because it's a novel virus it's hitting young and old people alike for the first time, which is unlike other viruses, which we've co-evolved with, and you get exposed to them as a kid, and then you know they make you sick when you're a kid. Here's the problem. Our immune systems are not responding to SARS-2 in that way. So you have, um, and let's let's get into this here before I even get into anything else. <clears throat> a lot of people were really... Uh, coming down on this guy and, and with good reason, because it was like, wait a minute, you're completely undermining your entire message here. So here is uh, an article. This is from uh, Medical Life Sciences News. Children's immune systems do not develop <coughs> excuse me, adaptive memory to protect against second time SARS coronavirus 2 infection. What does that mean? Well, Your immune system kind of has two major parts, your innate immune system. This would be things like physical barriers and mucus and that kind of stuff that um, protects your system from invasion, you know, bacteria, like various microbes uh, that may be hostile pathogens landing on you. And it can kind of keep those out. And it's the sort of like uh, first here. The adaptive memory is... um, you know things deeper down in your immune system and so this article is talking this is from january 2023 children's immune systems do not develop adaptive memory once they've been infected to protect against a second infection so please tell me how people getting infected repeatedly for 50 years is going to just build up immunity when what we know about the virus is our bodies don't respond to it like that. So let's read the article. This is reviewed by Emily Henderson, uh, bachelor's in science. Children have largely avoided severe COVID-19 symptoms because they have a strong initial innate immune system that quickly defeats the virus. So this is like the virus will land in your nose and that sort of, um, you know it gets defeated quickly there. Children tend to have a strong innate immune system. But now researchers led by scientists at the garvin institute of medical research have uncovered what this might mean for the immune system unlike those of adults children's immune systems don't remember the virus and don't adapt so when they're next exposed to sars coronavirus 2 their body still treats it as a new threat so uh quote the price that children pay for being so good at getting rid of the virus in the first place is that they don't have the opportunity to develop adaptive memory to protect them the second time that they're exposed to the virus. It's quoting Professor Tree Fan, lead author and head of the Intravital Microscopy and Gene Expression Image Lab and co-lead of the Precision Immunology Program at Garvin. So uh, because children haven't been exposed to many viruses, their immune system is still naive. So naive means lacking experience and so that's what it is. It's not been challenged by many pathogens yet. And because they don't develop memory T-cells, they're at risk of getting sick when they become reinfected. With each new infectious episode as they get older, there's a risk of their T-cells becoming exhausted and ineffective, like the T-cells in older people. This is why we think it's important to vaccinate children. So anyway, it goes on. But um, this entire premise of, like, the children of today, by the time they're 50, like, they won't uh, have this problem with COVID and by you know there's nothing we can do about it and we just got to let it rip, that is um, contradicted by the evidence. And let's keep in mind how many reinfections with COVID can you actually survive? We know that with every reinfection, your risk of serious health complications goes up steadily. So you're you can see there the number of infections. So number one that's your first infection, then number two that's your first reinfection, then number three. That's your second reinfection. And so there's been a lot of studies, we've covered some of them here on the channel, of uh, the damaging effects of reinfection. And every time your odds go up of having the worst outcomes. So just getting infected four, five, six, seven, eight times, by the time you hit the 10th time, are you gonna survive it? But this is the um, game of chance that the system is currently playing because why Why? why are they so hell-bent on just business as usual well um if parents for example started demanding protection for their children which would be great for all of us because schools are major major spreading zones they've been driving the pandemic actually um, and they should not be open for the most part But if parents started demanding things like that, it could really uh, gum up the system. Now, at a minimum, we need things like ventilation, filtration, and testing, if you're gonna keep schools open, as well as mask mandates. How how did I not mention mask mandate? Um, But you, you need all of these things, and people are acting like they're being so put upon to even consider these things, when again, with every reinfection, they don't even have immunological things on this chart from this study, but your immune system takes a beating every time you get exposed to this virus, get infected with this virus. It's, uh, it's really bad for you. So anyway, just wanted to comment on that. We're going to do some more with that. Actually, you know what? I think I had, uh, Here's one other thing. Well, here's the lead into that. This is from T. Ryan Gregory. People who claim that repeated sars coronavirus 2 infections in children will result in their building up immunity such that infections in adulthood will be mild. And again, they keep trying to sell you this mild thing. They've now dressed it up in 50 different ways, but the system is trying to get you to believe this virus is mild. It isn't. Anyway, uh, they need to explain how this occurs when children do not develop adaptive immune memory to SARS coronavirus 2. And that was the link that we were looking at, actually following up on this exact same thing, because a lot of people were really uh, slamming Nina for this, and rightfully. Uh, so this is Dr. Deep D. Gurdasani, we've covered before. Um, if you're interested in COVID stuff, definitely follow her on Twitter. The argument that children getting exposed to viruses at a young age reduces their severity in adults ignores the u-shaped mortality curve for most infectious diseases so mortality means death Uh, morbidity is illness and mortality is death so there's a u-shaped mortality curve from most infectious diseases and infectious diseases being distinct from chronic diseases things like lifestyle diseases you know things that you develop over time from bad health habits or environmental well anyway uh, so infectious diseases uh, be, meaning, you know, the result of an, an infectious agent such as a virus, anyway, where mortality is higher in under fives. And they'll show a chart of that. So, for many infectious diseases, the curve of severity is U shaped. There's higher mortality in both under fives and in the elderly. So, mortality in very young children is higher than those in, in adults. One may argue that this is because of first-time exposure or because children in general are more vulnerable, but even if getting exposed as a baby reduces adult mortality, surely the higher mortality rate in this group should make us rethink exposure to infectious disease being beneficial. And we know that GAS, even in childhood, can have serious long-term ramifications like heart disease in adulthood. We know many respiratory illnesses like RSV, Flu, SARS coronavirus 2, are also associated with a significant burden of hospitalization. I think if one is going to argue that exposure to infection in childhood is beneficial, given the U shaped mortality curves for many infectious diseases, we really need much stronger evidence for this, given the clear impacts on children, both acute and long term. Uh, also, an interesting study here shared by at GenJVN showing childhood respiratory infection associated with higher risk of adult premature death from respiratory infection, but not other causes. While the causality here isn't clear, it is concerning. So, um, and you can see quote tweeted there, LRTI lower respiratory tract infection. And these tend to be bad because, um, you know, the further down into your respiratory system that pathogens penetrate, uh, tends to be associated with more severe outcomes in many cases. But anyway, so lower respiratory tract infection during early childhood was associated with almost a two times risk of premature adult death from respiratory disease. So is that because, uh, you know, did, did the kids get the um, lower respiratory tract infection because their lungs were just weaker or, you know, something about their uh, immune system and their respiratory system? was weaker and then that persisted into adulthood or did it do damage that then you know uh shortened that person's lifespan as they got into adulthood not clear but it's concerning for now and you want to use a precautionary principle not just say ah well i'll just believe what i want you know that the scenario is rosy it's not really uh how that works So ultimately, let's remember that COVID was a new infection that hit children and adults simultaneously. And the mortality rate in under fives is higher than in young adults. So this is that U-shaped curve. So it's hard to argue based on current evidence that exposure in early childhood can be considered beneficial because it takes out um, lots of people under the age of one. So yeah. Um, It's very clear that this U-shaped curve is not a result of exposure in early childhood, reducing severity in adulthood, because all these age groups encountered a novel virus for the very first time, and the death rate in under-fives was still higher. Here's the curve for the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Highest mortality in under-fives to a novel strain encountered by all age groups together. Under-fives are more vulnerable to severe disease from infections, both novel, newly-arising, pathogens and established. We should be protecting them, not infecting them. Also, very simply, if exposing children to infections at young ages was better, children in countries where this happens extensively would have great outcomes, but they absolutely don't. Mortality in children is much younger in countries where child expo- uh, childhood exposure is low. I just want to mention too, while just before I forget, the Spanish flu pandemic of 100 years ago, um you know many people have compared COVID-19 as a worldwide pandemic with a lot of mortality to the Spanish flu. I don't think that that's actually a great comparison. It's similar in that it spread fast and it you know covered like it went it, you know it went global and things like that. But um COVID is not the flu. People had at least been exposed to other types of flu. And um, it's just an entirely different type of virus as far as um, the tissues that it infects in in the body and things. So anyway, just a little uh, pet peeve of mine. But continuing, exposure to infectious disease is lower in more affluent countries because of less crowding, less poverty, better sanitation. We've never argued that that was a bad thing for children. So why in this specific case would you argue that? It's no surprise that many arguing for this have never actually considered outcomes in LMICs, I guess that'd be low and middle income countries, or had to deal with the burden of infectious disease in children in, quote, high exposure conditions. You'd never see someone who's seen the impact of this on children arguing, you know, to just let it rip like that. Oh, it's probably good for them, builds character, and all this other kind of stuff they're trying to ram this disease down our throats quite literally so that it doesn't impact quarterly profits and that's really what it comes down to all right that's the wrap-up I wanted to do with that Um, let's get into some chat and uh, you know I keep thinking of other things want to give a shout out apparently um, Marxist Paul and uh, Danky Kang did a stream and I just want to say Danky Kang is back um if you're uh not familiar with Danky Kang. This was actually when I when I was starting in twenty twenty, um I, I kind of set sort of growth benchmarks. I think Danky Kang was at like twenty seven hundred subscribers at that point. And I was setting, you know, different benchmarks as the channel grew. And like that twenty seven hundred to three thousand that was like the Danke Kang benchmark. Um I enjoyed Danky Kang's content. There was um there was a time where Danky Kang's channel didn't really produce content for a year because Danky Kang was in PC USA and they were trying to they basically kind of like took over the channel for a while. Uh there's videos on that. And so there was like no content made for a year. And then um then they were posting for a while and then they had some like personal issues which they were just talking about in their recent comeback video. Anyway, welcome back, but uh Yeah, so anyway, a lot of love all around there. So thank you for the shout-out, and good to see um, Danky Kang back, and good to see Marxist Paul continuing to do Marxist Paul things. All right, now, for real, let's get into the chat. If I can... There we go. Am I already at the top of the chat, or what's going on here? It's not moving. There we go. I'll tell you the Twitch chat does odd things sometimes. what else do we have here can't even mention covid in real life where i live without everyone making jokes about me being stuck in 2021 and covid being over um you know if you have your phone on you at the time just pull out biobot and just say covid is not over here's the wastewater data i don't know if you're willing to like engage in that level of confrontation <laughs> but um i find i never get responses after i do that ever so i think people are you know they want to say you're living in the past they're living in the delusion of uh you know what's been created by the misinformation put out by the system all right i still want to know what's on those floppy disks after you're done sorting them i'll need a full file index It's just so intriguing you know it's like mystery time capsule floppy disks Oh yeah, so the Black Black Rock headquarters was invaded by French protesters. I'm no fan of multinational financial investment firms, but I only hear right wingers talking about them. Uh, no, I, I I I think those concerns are misplaced. Um, the protests in France are getting crazy. I would love to see. You know, I've been told that no, the communists in France are just Euro-communists, and then there's like anarchists and SOCDEMs and other people that aren't going to do anything revolutionary. Let's just say that the protests in France continue to build. And my understanding, I'm not uh, intimately familiar with everything going on in the PCF or in other communist groups in France. It looks to me like there are things other than Euro-communists in there. But um, again, I could be wrong. Uh, but speaking of, of the protests in France, you know, could we finally see, you know, revolution in one of the advanced countries, uh, you know, the, the, within the imperial core, so to speak? That would be uh, just smashing. Anyway, speaking of smashing, here, um, here are three videos from the French protests. So the first one is uh, people stormed the Rock financial group one of the three largest um, financial uh, management, asset managing firms in the US. And um, yeah, they stormed the offices. So what will that achieve? Is it symbolic? I don't know if people were going in there with any particular agenda. I think the idea here is people may be testing the waters on building up to something more dramatic than this. So I'm all for it. You know, people are so quick to. Uh, you see online, people are so quick to pour cold water on protests. There's a lot of really organized protest in France. Uh, it's tied to parties and you know unions and large organized um, class-based organizations. And you know, we'll we'll see what comes out of this. But there, I think, could be a period of testing the water now of how far can we push this, and please, please push it all the way. Um, That's what I have to say. Paris Commune 2 when? All right, here's the video. Or three videos. Three videos. Let me get the video back on the screen, too. So, yeah, that was the scene outside BlackRock, and I understand that they did uh, storm the office. But uh, here's some more marching, singing a familiar song. This is in Nice, I believe. Finally, uh, this is at the Paris um, Town Hall or you know, uh, whatever, they, whatever they call it there. Some rats for the rats. Here you go. Natacha Pommet, je reviens quand même sur l'opération rat cet après-midi. <laughs> uh, on voyait vos confrères de la CGT. Uh, est-ce, qu'il y a pas, est-ce que ça ne soulève pas quand même une question de santé publique Et j'ai envie de vous dire, qui, qui va ramasser les rats ensuite Alors euh, sur la question de santé publique, euh, j'ai déjà répondu sur votre antenne il y a deux trois semaines. Et il me semble que euh, le Conseil de l'ordre a déjà euh, voilà, s'est exprimé là-dessus. Donc euh, ça, ce sont des, des choses qu'on peut écarter. Après, euh, les salariés qui s'occupent de la, de la propreté ville de Paris, euh, les surmulots, ce sont ben, voilà, des les animaux avec lesquels ils travaillent. Ils sont en contact tous les jours. Et c'était aussi euh, pour dénoncer que le fait que ce sont des agents qui travaillent dans des, dans des conditions très difficiles with the conditions really extremely grave for their health, and it's a way to show what is invisibility every day, and to say, well, work two years more in these conditions when we exercise a mission. Okay, so she's talking about how this is an extremely serious situation for health and whatever. Those are um, dead rats that they're dumping at the government building. So we've already been through the phase of they were dumping garbage there, so this is obviously an escalation from that. Personally, I'd like to just see it continue to escalate um, down with capitalism. What can you say? So all right, that's uh, about the end of that clip. So we were talking yesterday about updates from France. There's a couple right there. Yeah, we we're talking about George Galloway a bit. Um, he's kind of a joke. Yeah, he—he. He, I remember George Galloway coming to prominence in the Bush-Cheney years. He was speaking out against Tony Blair and the Iraq War. Um, he's a public face of Workers Party of Britain, and uh, yeah, kind of reactionary and I don't—I don't even know. Um, but uh, kind of a joke too. He, he was on Big Brother, wasn't he? Galloway, Big Brother. Yeah, it was like he, he had this sort of semi-dignified career in the 2000s of like being this opponent of the Iraq War. And then he starts doing uh, reality TV shows and almost like, you know, it's it's an attempt to discredit <laughs> the causes he was associated with. Like, see, this guy's just really a clown or whatever. I don't know. Are there any communist parties in the U.S.? Yes, uh, the main one is CPUSA, Communist Party of the United States of America. That was, you know, founded um, back in the day when the Common Turn was getting set up, and uh, it had a lot of problems of uh, opportunism, really, from pretty much the start. Um, I was actually going through my collected readings that I'm organizing uh, in, you know, the order that I want to do them. On the channel, um, William Z. E. Foster, who we have, he's known for Towards Soviet America, one of his major books, but I, a lot of his writing is really good, actually. We have uh, Organizing Methods in the Steel Industry is up on the channel. Um, that's like kind of a how-to nitty-gritty of like uh, organizing in the steel industry, as the name would imply, but there's a lot of readings from him that I want to do, and talking about... He was an opponent of the uh, opportunist Browderism that uh, Earl Browder was sort of like a, another big wig in CPUSA. So anyway, they still exist, but they're very opportunist. They, um, you know, a lot of people accuse them of just kind of being an extension of the Democratic Party. Uh, this is the leadership anyway. That's kind of been a longstanding revisionist trend with them. The rank-and-file people I know from CPUSA, many of whom listen to this channel, tend to be good people and serious communists, but they got to do something about that leadership issue. Then beyond that, um, you know, like the UK, the U- US has had a lot of different kinds of Trotskyism. So in the past, there's been the ISO. there is the IMT, um, which has manifestations in the US, the Socialist Alternative. All Trotskyist things. Um, there's also kind of pseudo-Trotskyist, Marxist uh, things like the Workers' World Party, and then the Party for Socialism and Liberation, or PSL, which split off of the Workers' World Party some time ago. And uh, yeah, so there's there's various things. Um, most of them at this point do not have like extensive ties with the mass. And then there's been uh, you know a wide variety of sort of, um, you know, coming out of the new left period, and on like, you know, 60s and 70s, you had things like the Black Panther Party, and, and other efforts. Um, so yeah, I mean, not to go through like the entire history of every party that has considered itself communist in the US. Um, I think that we do not have the party that we that we need uh, right now. And that probably that party will come about through an intensification of general struggle and then reorganization of existing class-conscious people into probably a new formation. That's my guess. I had somebody asking me, can I do Orwell books? Okay, so this person, I'm not going to name names here, but um, this person came in with... uh, On the Mastering Bolshevism by Stalin, the comment was just Big Brother versus Goldstein. What do you mean by that? And then uh, they came in... uh, Could you do pieces by Orwell? I... We're on a slightly different wavelength here, but... Okay, so there was a question about getting um, hard copies of Capital. I don't really get hard copies of any of this. I just go for the digital because there's so much of it. I would run out of bookshelf space in no time. I use, you know, Marxist Internet Archive or marx or other sources. You can get books and PDFs online. Um, But uh, Shakespeare pointing out that Penguin has editions of Capital Volume 1, 2, and 3, and they're um, pretty cheap. People are looking for hard copies. It's honestly, for me, doing the audiobooks, people have asked sometimes, do I do, do I like read out of a physical book? No. It is so much easier reading it off of a screen because I can blow up the text and then get comfortable with the mic and then just kind of like scroll through the text easily. So no, I I do digital for that. Which is another thing. People, I haven't seen it in a while, but people sometimes will try to like, um attack Marxist Internet Archive because their website is really simple. No, it's actually really good that it's really simple because not everybody has, like, really fast Internet connections around the world. I'm glad that you do, wherever you're making that criticism from. But uh, many, many, many people around the world do not have, like, the greatest Internet connections and, you know, haven't had for some time. Marxist Internet Archive has been up for a long time. And it's also super easy, then, to download and save the things. You know, if you try to save offline a web page um, that's all full of all kinds of scripts and this and that, a lot of times it won't save properly. But if you're just saving a plain HTML file, it saves really easily. So I love Marxist Internet Archive for that. And you can also do, like, wget stuff. And, they, I mean, they have a note on their website, like, don't don't do wget to their entire site, which, by the way, I mean, there's some really big PDF files on there, it's gonna take you a while anyway if you try to do that. But, you know, just don't blow up their site. If you're gonna do, like, an auto-download with wget, um, you wanna just do, like, one directory. Like, do one author at a time. Don't try to, like, you know, just get their entire site because it's gonna jam up traffic for everybody. But no, uh, that's a wonderful format. Couldn't uh, possibly improve on it as far as I'm concerned. Hats off to Marxist Internet Archive, though they may be Trotskyists, but still they're running a hell of a website. These people think that by changing the names of things, they've changed their essential character, literally exactly what they're doing with the pandemic. You can't declare an emergency over. The emergency dictates when it is over. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, there's a meme somewhere, let me see if I have it, of, like, the, uh, school being on fire, and they're like, hey, I'm so glad that we got the, uh, the kids out. And then it just, like, uh, a panel or two passes, and they're like, well, guess we better send them back in yet. Like, no, 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 the fire's still going. It's like, yeah, but we can't keep the kids out here forever. That's pretty much what's happening. There was that other article we covered, like, a year ago, uh... It was January 2022, which was... um, Oh, let me get this thing. What was the name of it? I read it uh, either in a stream or something. Yeah, that's what it was. It was written in January 2022, and then I read it in a later stream. It was like, we must send children into the viper's nest or something like that and it was it was just about you know a satire of like sending the kids back into schools i can't find the thing somebody in the chat must know what i'm talking about it's like we must send the the children back into the cobra's pit uh it's just costing too much money to keep them out besides like snake bites you know build your immune system and whatever else Uh, Some comments here also about how George Galloway veers into, like, obviously anti-Semitic stuff. Not just anti-Zionist, but, like, crosses the line into actual anti-Jewish stuff. Um, I don't know. I haven't been following him that closely. I would probably mark that guy as, like, not the most trustworthy. Like, you can find more credible people saying the exact same thing and better. You know what I mean? Like, without all the crap. Without all the really questionable stuff. So, yeah. The society has evolved beyond the need for George Galloway I think yeah Maria, only takes a few million years till we adapt to covid bats adapted so we can too yeah we're not bats exactly um so you know just yeah what will be the average lifespan in 50 years will a major thrust of a socialist economy be a medical screening and care? as a response to the mess left by capitalists a revolution for health is becoming necessary the crisis of polluting industry disease spreading and the death of food chains for profits cuba is leading the world right now in medicine we need to help them thank you for your COVID coverage yeah no good good comment and good points life uh expectancy has been dropping for the last few years and it's likely to continue to drop um in the u.s not in all countries China, I believe, had a brief setback in 2020 and then resumed uh, climbing because they actually took care of the pandemic. Now they are reopening this year, so we'll see what actually happens with their life expectancy now. But um, yeah, Um, I was gonna say something else about that. Oh yeah, will a major thrust of a socialist economy be a medical screening and care as a response to the mess left by capitalists? I mean, I've been saying for a while now It's like each U.S. president, before I really started studying communism, it was like each U.S. president was leaving behind a bigger and bigger dumpster fire of problems. And I'm like, whoever is coming in next has like a massive, like, especially Obama after Bush and Cheney. It's like you got like a gigantic shit show to clean up. And he just didn't. And I was like, oh, so that's how this is going to be and uh they really didn't undo any of it and so it's just accumulating and accumulating it's going to take a revolution to change any of this it really is um the life expectancy climate change you name it. it at this point the system has demonstrated time and again it's completely unwilling to address these very serious problems you know so it's like um for my money anything short of studying marxism leninism at this point uh you're 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 wasting time i think it's living in kind of fantasy land because if we don't have a revolution we're all going to die i don't want to just like be uh alarmist or like doomer but that's what we know from just climate change alone things will get worse and worse and worse Society will get more and more unstable and they will bring in more and more fascism to try to um, prop it up. And it's just going to keep going like this. I've been watching it, you know, I've been politically engaged for about 20 years in some way or another. And just watching it get worse and worse and worse and worse. And you know what? It's not going to get better on its own. So, uh, yeah, eventually, you know, it comes down to... All right, what is the best way to get a revolution going? And it seems to me uh, Marxism-Leninism. So hence what, hence why we're doing what we're doing here, because I don't want to live in denial. I try to live in reality. December's excess mortality is 20% up compared to the pre-pandemic years in Europe. Yeah, and we're just expected to think that that extra 20% of people who died is just, da uh, whatever. You know, I don't know if they're even bothering to make explanations for it at this point. One of the tactics I've seen with the COVID denial is like the CDC will somewhere acknowledge a fact, like a really devastating fact that should be the headline and the basis of major policy changes. They'll acknowledge it and then just move on. And then the headline winds up being something else entirely. So they don't even bother making excuses. They just note it but then don't incorporate it and then effectively ignore it and deny it. You know, they sort of deny it by omission, although they've technically acknowledged it at one time, but didn't give it the appropriate, you know, incorporation into policy. Well, you're all welcome for the continuing coverage of COVID. It uh, really, really makes me mad um, that they're letting this thing rip. It's over killed over a million people already in the US alone. And uh, I had long COVID for 11 months. It was debilitating, and I don't know what it did to my body long term. Um, And I'm sick and tired of living this way where, you know, most people aren't doing very much to try to stop the spread at all. And then it just is falling on people who actually give a shit, particularly people who are... I mean, we're all vulnerable to COVID, but like people who have, you know, really pronounced existing problems, um, who, you know, really could die the next time that they get COVID, although that's going to be all of us pretty soon. Because again, by the time people get to infection number 789, um, are you going to die of a heart attack at 55? You know, that's something we don't expect anymore with our modern dietary knowledge and You know things that all the research that's been done about heart disease and lung disease and everything else you know and a lot of people like quit smoking 15 years ago or whatever like you know like smoking went out a while ago um for the most part the smoking rates dropped dramatically and so on there's been a lot of improvements in overall health and then we're letting this virus just run rampant so it's gonna start undoing a lot of that stuff pretty fast and we'll get back to those really bad, you know, lower life expectancy like we saw in the 90s and 80s and going back in time, not in a good way. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think we're talking about the Galloway anti-Semitism. Galloway is just not the full ticket Trillby wearing tread left weirdo and it wouldn't surprise me if he's an anti-Semite. There you go. So that seems to be the common impression there. Welcome to your first time watching an S4A live stream. You're involved. You're involved in a stream. There you go. Oh, is Lee Camp transphobic? That's too bad. Um... I mean, he's still associating with Jimmy Dore, isn't he? That's... There comes a point where... I don't care if you're doing comedy, air quotes. Uh, you gotta draw the line somewhere. I, I don't watch Lee Camp, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, ha- hadn't heard of Danky Kang. I mean, th- like I said, there were long pauses in, in Danky Kang streaming. Um, Yeah. All right, we need we need the uh, we need to straighten this out. Lee Camp. Now we got a Lee Camp is pro trans, pretty sure. I don't really know because I don't watch him, and I don't want to spread wrong information. But why 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 did whoever say that Lee Camp is anti trans say that? I have no idea. Don't want to spread rumors. If France were to have a communist revolution, it would literally change everything in Europe since other countries have so much discontent and rising class consciousness, too. It would be wonderful. You know, I think they'd really have to watch out for all the Le Pen people. Um, You'd probably get a lot of sabotage, you know, attempted sabotage going on, so you'd have to watch out for that. But, yeah, it would be game-changing for real i don't want to you know get hopes up too much it's just the protests have been going on for a long time they do seem to be escalating i'm all for it um and please (laughs) something you know help us out here greece spain italy and other countries are definitely having a lot of revolutionary fervor i mean there were these sort of um botched attempts after 2008 to get left-wing things going in Greece and, and so on. And uh, I think people, I mean, it was really kind of my trajectory too, seeing through more of the kind of, you know, sock them, like wishy-washy stuff after 2008, you know, Occupy Wall Street's kind of quasi-anarchism and going, no, okay, we need something that can go the distance here. And coming around to Marxism, I think it is leading the kind of rebirth of people getting real about studying communism. Because we just can't fuck around with this much longer. Like, capitalism will fucking seriously kill us all if we let it continue to go. And I think that's becoming very clear to many, many people. I mean, many people have already died from it you know, probably a lot of us listening to this and including me, it's probably shortened our lifespan already just from COVID. And then who the hell knows what's going to happen in the future with climate change? You know, that could be um, shortening lifespan as well in ways that are yet to come or yet to be fully realized. Oh, that's what that was. (laughs) I was listening to one of the streams a while ago and I was like, what is that noise? But it was me scraping something off of the uh, screen. There's like a little fleck of something on the screen. That's what it was. Making the connections. Okay. I think it's very critical this is happening under Macron as well in France, further exposing the rot of neoliberalism. If his opposition won, the liberals would just be able to spin this revolutionary moment into fundraising. Yeah. So remember, Macron was up against Le Pen, Marine Le Pen, far right, like coming out of a basically neo-Nazi Holocaust denying party. They have tried to rehabilitate their image somewhat, but that's basically who that party is. And yeah, then the centrists would be like, look at us and our, you know, the, the preening big brains of the centrist world. Um, <laughs> they have no spine. It all went into their big brains. Um, yeah, they would just spin it as like, oh, that nasty far right, you know, let us take over and everything will be fine. Well, they can't pull that this time. I mean, much like what's going on with Joe Biden. It's like, uh, you know, you're not Trump. Congratulations. Uh, Would you mind doing things differently than Trump would do? You know, would you mind proving you're not Trump? I hate to say this, but I used to listen to George Galloway during my reactionary phase until he started pushing anti-trans stuff. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a similar thing happened to me because, again, you know, it's like in the two thousands. You're dealing with a left environment where there's really almost no communists you could connect with in any way. This is prior to social media, and you know, so you, you're just kind of dealing with things that you can go into a nearby city and pick up pamphlets for, or like attend a rally. You know, as much there, there was no YouTube, like and and, and on like that, um, but there was libertarians fucking everywhere. And they would get in your face. And it was just a like really shit tier. We were discussing this in kind of like a recent stream. I, it's kind of depressing for me revisiting those years because I was somebody who was really trying to connect with left stuff. And I thought libertarianism was kind of a nightmare. And I wound up kind of getting too close to that for a while. And then finally just being like around... I don't know, you know, towards the end of the 2000s, I was just like, I'm fucking done with libertarians. Like, I'm done. I am done. I remember the day, I was just like, I am done. And then, you know, Occupy popped up a couple of years later and it was like, fucking finally. And I think we've been building off of that ever since. And trying to, you know, steer the, uh, correct the ideological errors and steer it in better directions, but it's still that push against capitalism that came out of that 2008 2009 moment uh yeah also so revolution in france france still dominating much of africa so people who aren't aware uh france as a colonial power had its hand in uh, a lot of africa and there's still a lot of financial domination and you know um that, that would be impacted by any kind of, you know, major left-wing political change in France that was sufficiently left-wing anyway, you know, left-wing to the point of actually um, you know, abolishing private property, like all, all the kind of things that we'd be looking for, you would see a major, uh, uh, you know, new, new round of dealing and restitution, I think, towards Africa from a communist France. love williams e foster the three internationals book is great i really look forward to reading a lot of that it's good some of these people you'll look at it it's like how did they have so much time to do all this writing but then again there was no youtube then so they a weren't watching cat videos and b rather than doing a stream like this they were uh writing it down so i guess that's how but lennon especially i'm like my god i stumbled onto like a lennon book recently it was just like I haven't even heard of this one. <laughs> you know, he wrote a book. What was it? I mean, it was a shorter one, but um, let's see. What was the name of that one? It was uh, a caricature of Marxism and imperialist economism. I mean, these are themes that are explored in various Lenin's works, but I was just like, I Was <laughs> is there like a whole mini book I just haven't heard of? Anyway, we'll be doing that one. As well, I put it into the rotation. Greece has been on the edge of revolution since the end of World War II. Yeah, so there was um, Operation Chaos. Let's just believe that was the name. Um, Greece, this was a CIA operation. I feel like something in my brain is telling me Bill Clinton had some involvement with this. Uh, Let's see. Well, there's Operation Chaos as a domestic operation. What am I thinking of then? All right, I'm trying to find this now. So there's Operation Chaos CIA, CIA spying on people in the US. But also, what am I thinking of then? So let's see, CIA, Greek Civil War. I don't know if Maria, probably by the time I get to your comment, it's going to be like uh, stale, but I appreciate your input anyway. I'm talking about, here we go. Helping Fascists in the Civil War and Coup. Do you know that the CIA has a copy of Killing Hope as a PDF on their website? That's just freaking bizarre. That's a book by William Blum that is all about the CIA's uh, interventions and dirty tricks around the world. Anyway. uh, But yeah, CIA involvement um, on behalf of the right-wing In Greece, um, there's a whole history there. Apparently not thinking of the right keywords for it right now. French Revolution would also have Cuba and Vietnam. So, let's see. I can only imagine that Cuba would finally have a... Hold on. There we go. I can only imagine that Cuba would finally have a big country to allow them to industrialize more and expand the power of the people. Yeah, I really look forward to a big shifting of um, power in the world, just not to, you know, other capitalists, as seems to be the case uh, today. You know, there was a, a discussion thread going on. Somebody asked, I don't know, somebody asked something in a live stream about, like, will Russia... Um, capitulate to China, and I'm just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. They're they're voluntarily partnering right now. Um, But there was a thread that I was looking at. Let me see if I can dig it up. Involving... Oh, it was about Macron in France, speaking of France. Macron meeting with uh, Xi Jinping to try to persuade China to, like, stop the war in Ukraine or something. The thing is actually, my understanding at this point, is Chinese capital is going to benefit from Russia's self-sabotage and self-destruction because, as we know, Western capital uh, started a boycott and they started pulling out um, a variety of, like, pretty big chains and companies and even manufacturing and things like that out of russia leaving kind of a vacuum behind chinese capital is poised to move into that vacuum now that was something that the partnership like last week was aimed at discussing so with chinese capital poised to like move into russia in a big way um i mean in in that sense china would be benefiting from the situation that russia is getting itself into and probably doesn't want to see an end to that, which could uh, result in, um, you know, the Western companies possibly moving back into Russia, then competing with Chinese capital. Uh, if somebody has angles on that I'm not seeing, I'm happy to listen to them, but that's how it seems to me. I re- remain very, very skeptical <clears throat> of that situation. When a David Pacman sub finds their way into an S4A video. <laughs> you know i i was doing david pacman react videos before it was before it was a thing i will say that he was my like my least favorite of the whole sock Them gang and uh boy does he suck i almost enjoyed doing david pacman reaction videos because he's so horribly bad at what he does like he's really bad at it um I don't know, there's just something about him. It's it's one of those truly, like, I love to hate him kind of things. He's just, he, he has bad politics, and it's just satisfying, like, attacking him for it. So, anyway. Okay, so perspective from a Greek communist, that uh, the KKE back in the day made mistakes that led to a more or less hopeless civil war. And now are you talking about in the 40s? If France continues somehow, intelligence would be all over. It would be a mad scramble. I'm sure there would. I'm sure it would be a big, big struggle. But the French people, you know, maybe they would be determined enough to persist and overcome. That would be great. JavaScript on websites is convenient for creating a fancy display, but makes it fundamentally more vulnerable to quite a few types of attacks. Another virtue of a simpler website. Talking about Marxist Internet Archive. Yeah. I mean, it's a a site that is offering you, it's not about the bells and whistles. It's about texts that, even if you dress them up with bells and whistles, most people aren't going to fucking read. So I put them on my website read to people a lot of times people still don't, you know, listen to them So uh, no, uh, MIA is uh, perfectly justified in what they're doing. It's a great website Uh, One thing I'll say uh, they have some good menus on there I think they could make their directory still easier to use Uh, They have some really good lists and um, groupings and you know different things. I still think there's a way that they could like maybe put it all on one page with even fewer graphics. I think the graphics in some ways um, make it a little more confusing. The one where like the picture of Lennon is at his desk and you can't even see his face, like that one, um, I think that you could maybe do, you know, like they have a great subject index and, and different things like that I don't know if people wind up seeing those menus, though, because they're kind of far removed from the main screen. But um, anyway, there's there's a ton of amazing shit on that website and in many different languages, too. So they also have audiobooks on there, not of everything, but of uh, a number of things. So anyway. Uh, Do I remember when the Berlin Wall fell? And yes, I do. And how did you feel about it at the time? I did not have much knowledge about it at the time. I was told it was a good thing, and I did not really know anything to the contrary. (laughs) If S4A uploaded an Orwell book, I would never trust them, ever. Yeah, you will not be seeing that on the channel. Like, yeah, no, that was somebody coming in with, like, oh, it's Big Brother versus Goldstein. What are you talking about? It's like Stalin and Trotsky? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, I think that the... um, you know, I know kind of conspiracy people who do the, like, Orwell was right stuff. But it's just so kind of lazy when you break it down. Like, well, no, it's it's not as simple as, like, communism is the boogeyman that capitalism needed. I mean, there were hundreds of millions of people living in those countries. Their lives actually changed. Like, it wasn't all just a fucking psyop. Like, their lives actually changed. And maybe you shouldn't get all of your information about communism from anti-communists. Do you ever think of that? Oh, but you can't trust the communists because they lie. Who told you that all the communists just, all they do is lie? Oh, anti-communists told you that? Yeah, Just, just try branching out. I know it's scary, but try. Uh, did all of the U.S. think that East Germany was as bad as Nazi Germany, or is that just Cold War propaganda? Seems the U.S. is way more united in hating East... Uh, uh, yeah, I've never heard a single positive reference to East Germany all my years in the U.S.A. I've never heard a one. So... I also haven't heard people going on about it at length, but I've never heard a single positive word uttered about East Germany. Siding with Orwell is the biggest betrayal. Yeah, that's been pretty well covered at this point. Orwell was, uh, quote, anti-Stalinist, and um, was turning in, quote, Stalinists to the uh, UK government, was my understanding, so... You know what? I found out nobody really explains why the Soviet Union disintegrated. Yeah, so um, I would boil it down to they reintroduced capitalism and everything fell apart. It really didn't take very long, actually. Like, less than a decade, uh, well under a decade, uh, things fell apart. Actually, I do want to do readings. I'll throw a name out there. Uh, Nina Andrieva. I want to do a number of readings, and I have this planned for an upcoming segment. Um, I'm sure this, you know, person had various faults and whatever. She died uh, a couple years ago, July 2020, at the age of 81. But she was in, um, well, she was in the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, but then later the All-Union Communist Party of Bolsheviks from 91 to 2020. And um, if anyone has details about the All-Union Communist Party of Bolsheviks, I'd be uh, interested to hear that. We've been kind of covering some of the other um, non-KPRF communist groups in Russia and Ukraine recently. I sometimes have a hard time keeping them all straight. Anyway, um, during uh, perestroika, like during the late years of um, the USSR, basically the terminal years of terminal revision in the ussr uh she was among the quote bolshevik hardliners i.e real communists uh who were opposing gorbachev's um sabotage of the ussr basically and did some essays i cannot forsake my principles and i have like i think four of them but um Yeah, I want to do some of those because it's interesting to see there was anti-revisionist resistance to, uh, you know, everything that happened from like 85 on in the USSR. And uh, we're going to read some of that. What else can I say? Literally after World War II was over and the LGBTQIA people were let out of the concentration camps, West Germany re-imprisoned them because it was still a crime in West Germany. There's too much anti-GDR propaganda. Yeah, like you'll hear Americans, US Americans make, uh, you know, remarks here and there about the Stasi or whatever you know it's it's just sort like that that's about all nobody really knows anything about it here from what i can gather ah don't slander the gdr those were the best five years of my life Tell us about it. Tell us about your experience. I'd be curious to hear it. We literally visited a supposed concentration camp in East Berlin, and the guy that was showing us the place was a prisoner. Um... I, so he said they imprisoned a seven-year-old girl for holding an anti-GDR leaflet. Okay, was that true, or did he just say it? Also, um, after the reunification, I don't know if this is in fellow travelers' video about East Germany, but... Um, that it, I forget where where I was where i obtained this information but uh yeah basically after german reunification a lot of um east german communist uh politicians and judges and things faced some kind of criminal charges in the reunited germany for like being communist basically (laughs) wish i had more details sorry that was kind of lame An international Marxist-Leninist party or organization would help significantly. Yes, I agree. Um, In fact, you know, what I am, uh, people are looking for some kind of like Marxist club or something like that to study with right now. You know, I recommend check out Politsturm. They are international and I like a lot of the materials that they're putting out. Haven't really heard anything bad about them so far and have heard a lot of good things. So, yeah. Uh, what is the recommended time having an N95 mask on at work? I sometimes work 10 hours straight, wearing it nonstop, working in a building, doing truck. Um, so you can read on the N95 packaging like what the recommendations are. Uh, some of them are rated for like specific amounts of time. So, some other ones will just say like wear it until it gets visibly dirty or you have trouble breathing through it because there's too much particulate matter caught in it. So it varies. (laughs) So this is back in the uh, East Berlin guy. The guy said that they offered him to spy on his friends to not get a sentence, but he declined. And he said we should all read Orwell. Okay. First responders get paid minimum wage. Yeah, people might be shocked to learn what EMTs, emergency medical personnel get like actually paid it's pitifully low and i mean you need some like you need a fair amount of training for that too um so yeah you have to go to school for it and everything and then you get paid like dismal dismal money and it's a job that has a good chance of giving you ptsd you're dealing with you're walking into like incredibly stressful situations and just horrifying situations like day in day out Oh, I didn't say Lee was transphobic, I was just asking. Okay, yeah, I hadn't heard him say anything transphobic either. Uh, other people said I've heard him defend trans people. Okay, that's good. He's from uh, Redacted Tonight, isn't that the name of it? Lee Camp and Graham Elwood are pretty base for non-Marxists. Yeah, they gotta draw sharper lines, though, like with the Jimmy Dore shit and stuff like that. There's, There's only so long you can let that drag on for, you know? I agree, like, those two are probably the best out of that group, but, like, at a certain point, again, it's time to step it up, you know? I do have a Graham Elwood thing on the channel, which is his interview with Kim, dumbest person, liverson And, uh, she's <laughs> just... <laughs> the shocked look on Elwood's face as she's, like, explaining her political, like, journey... <laughs> It's so bad. It's so bad. Oh, okay. I was mistaken. Someone was referring to George Galloway, not Lee Camp. All right, well, I'm not going to be able to edit all this out because it's really sprinkled throughout, but just to be clear, this person was, okay, let's be careful about how we say things then. All right. The most disappointing thing about the pandemic, parents not caring about their children. Whoever I tried to warn about COVID effects actually cared only about not losing their vacations. Yeah, it's bad. Boy, am I way behind the chat today? We really have COVID stuff to get to. Uh I probably lost twenty or ten or ten to twenty years off my life due to no medical access. You may not be wrong also people who have serious mental illness are uh have much lower lifespans or life expectancy as well Um, that's due to a combination of factors but um yeah i mean these are real problems we could be addressing as a society and just are not Graham Elwood is cool. I think he's honest. These people are cool. They need to read theory to avoid being opportunist trash, though. I agree. That's what I'm saying. They need to, like, step it up. You know, they've been winging it for long enough. Now you need to get serious. Um, Graham has said he wants to be a crypto millionaire in order to beat back climate change. (laughs) Like, now that is what I expect out of that sort of green libertarian overlap space. That is exactly what I expect. Um, you, you you gotta learn Marxism. You just have to learn Marxism, because otherwise you wind up like that. To clarify my comments on N95, how long is it recommended to wear an N95 mask while working inside, until I need a break and go outside and take it off? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know that there is a specific limit to that actually. Like, you can check your O2 levels if you get, like, an oxygen monitor. Um, As long as that's fine, you should be fine for as long as your mask doesn't fill up with dirt or whatever. Yeah. I once asked Graham in his chat if he has ever read Marks, and he said he did once in high school. Yeah, that doesn't cut it. I read Marks once in high school, too. I thought it was interesting uh but it did not you know reading it once in high school is not enough to give you a solid foundation you actually have to make a serious study of it and so that's you know what we're trying to do here on the channel and uh it will significantly improve your politics and your ability to analyze class struggle so yeah reading Marx once in high school this is like the standard sock them gang answer kyle kalinsky said the same thing i read Marx once i didn't agree with it i think that's kyle kalinsky's answer Like, what do you mean you read Marx once? He's written, like, dozens of really long books. Which one did you read once? (laughs) Like, you can't even read one in one sitting. What are you even talking about? So, yeah. I mean, maybe you could read the manifesto in one sitting. Or, like, a chapter out of something in one sitting. But, uh, by and large, no. No, it takes more than, like, you know, walking through a room where a book by Marx is open on a table... Uh, It takes, you know, more than doing that once to, like, actually evaluate it and uh, really learn the ins and outs, you know. Uh, Marx was not just merely a podcaster, let's put it that way. (laughs) There's some actual meat in there, you know. There's There's some substance you gotta grapple with, actually. Fucking libertarian talk radio stations, I have a grudge against them for poisoning me young. Hear, hear. Uh, Amen. The libertarians will get it good. They really will. Scum. Fucking scum, libertarians. Saw a picket of people who say that the cost of living crisis is due to coronavirus preventative measures being taken, e.g. lockdowns. I think their logic is... People sat at home buying stuff online has caused rampant inflation. Um, what, do you, what do you say to that? No. Um, first of all, a lot of these companies are having record profits, and they just use whatever cover for their price gouging that they can use and get away with. But let's, let's take a look. So I'm, I'm overdue on reading some more of these articles anyway. Uh, let's get into that. There are two articles here. What did I call them? um here is the first one it's a short thing oops where my thing go it's from forbes more than half of long covid patients suffer from organ damage up to one year after covid infection this is by honorata varanasi who writes about environmental health disparities and epidemiology this is from february so you know six weeks ago very recent thing and uh in a recent study published in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine, researchers analyzed MRI data of long COVID patients and found that mild organ damage continued to take place in 59% of the patients, even up to one year after they got infected with the sars coronavirus 2 virus. From the MRI data, the researchers observed that mild damage took place in patients' heart, lungs, kidneys, liver, spleen... And pancreas remember for the pancreas it directly attacks your pancreas it is uh, it increases likelihood in children of both type 1 and type 2 diabetes something we're already struggling with way too much due to sedentary lifestyles uh, too much screen time not enough sleep and the diet everything being loaded with uh, you know lots of sugar and empty carbs and fat and well not the The fat can contribute to other problems, but um, anyway, yeah. But direct pancreas damage from the virus, that is making an existing problem with metabolic syndrome and diabetes uh, worse. And of course, it's both types of diabetes, the type that is acquired from lifestyle and the type that isn't acquired from lifestyle. So anyway, the researchers particularly focused on patients who are suffering from severe breathlessness, cognitive issues, and a significantly lower quality of life after a COVID-19 infection. Out of the 536 patients with long COVID, who were based in the UK, 13% had hospitalized after being diagnosed with the viral condition. And around 32% of the study's participants were healthcare workers. Their mean age was 45, and 73% of them were women. While 59% of them experienced impairment in a single organ, 29% 29% were found to have multi-organ impairment one year after a COVID infection. The only good news from these findings is that between six months to a year later, the number of patients who reported suffering from breathlessness reduced from 38 to 30%. So that's not a big reduction um, for you know, being that far out from the infection. For cognitive dysfunction, there was a 10% reduction from 48 to uh, yeah, 48 to 38%. And lower quality of life had the biggest reduction, but still really bad, from 57 to 45% of these 536 patients. So 45% after between six months to a year later, we're still having lower quality of life. That's dramatic. Quote, several studies confirm persistence of symptoms in individuals with long COVID up to one year. We now add that three in five people with long COVID have impairment in at least one organ, and one in four have impairment in two or more organs, in some cases without symptoms, the researchers wrote in their study. In other words, without uh, the kind of symptoms you would experience on a day-to-day basis, but might result in, say, kidney failure at an earlier age. Impact on quality of life and time off of work, particularly in healthcare workers, is a major concern for individuals, health systems, and economies. Many healthcare workers had no prior illness. The scale of long COVID burden necessitates action to develop, evaluate, and implement evidence-based investigation, treatment, and rehabilitation. Last screen, the researchers further added, in the UK and other countries, long COVID carries a high burden of investigations and healthcare utilization across specialties. So high burden of healthcare utilization, what does that mean? It means that people who get long COVID wind up requiring a huge amount of medical services, okay? Because it's uh, you a know, wide ranging, uh, really quality of life impacting condition. And definitive care pathways are lacking, meaning the system doesn't really know how to sort and deal with people with long COVID, efficiently. Such MRI assessment has potential application beyond the pandemic for multi-system assessment and investigation, including in lower resource settings. So in other words, if they ever get this figured out, um, they could use it for things beyond just long COVID and making the system more efficient. According to a BBC report, in the UK, around 5,000 to 10,000 NHS workers might be on prolonged sick leave due to long COVID. So this is part of the, the, the labor shortage that they were talking about, um, you know, as early as twenty twenty one, definitely last year as well, is like, oh, where'd all the workers go? It's the next article we're gonna read. Yeah, they're either dead or impaired. So anyway, many have many of them have said that they feel abandoned by the NHS due to the lack of adequate sick pay. Since twenty twenty one, more than forty thousand nurses in the UK alone have quit their jobs just due to burnout since the pandemic began in late 2019. At present, researchers estimate that at least two million people in the UK suffer from long COVID. Despite the high prevalence of long COVID, there's still no clear methods to diagnose it, nor are there any medical treatments that can tackle it at present. Patients have complained about doctors dismissing their long-term symptoms post-infection, like chronic fatigue syndrome or ME. So this is like people will go to their doctor and say, I'm having these things and I got COVID a few months ago. I've never had this before. I think it's long COVID. And the doctors are like, pish posh, you have what I say you have and whatever. So this is a real thing that's happening. Doctors gaslighting patients is nothing new, but this is a pretty um, widespread phenomenon because long COVID now you know, represents a significant expansion of people this is happening to. Now, second article, millions of workers, this is from the Seattle Times, are still missing after COVID. Where did they go? February 24, 2023. Gee, they're missing. Where did they go? This outlet got hammered for posting this, like, check a graveyard because a lot of people died, you fucking morons. Anyway, Michael Sasso from Bloomberg originally wrote this. Millions of workers are still missing from the U.S. labor force three years after COVID-19 surfaced, and economists are scratching their heads as to how big the gap actually is and where all these people went. That's such a mystery. One estimate found at least 2.1 million workers who retired earlier than expected. Now, let me add there, we've covered things here about people who got forced into retirement early. They didn't want to retire um, there's a lot of problems associated with retirement when you aren't set up to retire. You know, people just kind of fall apart effectively. Um, but there were people who got driven into retirement early because their long COVID was so bad they couldn't go back to work. So, I mean, you know, I, I think that's probably a significant portion of the 2.1 million people in the last three years who retired earlier than expected. Another calculated a shortfall of two million immigrants at the height of the pandemic. You know, these immigrants that are constantly getting demonized, yet the U.S. economy relies on uh, exploiting them, usually in a kind of tiered system, which weakens the overall labor movement. You know, the labor movement is only as strong as it is unified. And when you have a lot of people who are undocumented and therefore at various legal disadvantages, Um, you know, there's, they can be subjected to a lot worse conditions and they can't speak up. So this is something that, uh, employers try to exploit. And it's the same people who want to keep, um, illegal immigration, you know, heavily criminalized because people are still going to immigrate and come here to work and they know it. And they know that it means lower labor costs for them to keep, uh, people so vulnerable. And again, then they can play different um, segments of the workforce against each other. We need to be united internationally um, in our our labor unions and we need to oppose all of that stuff. Anyway, continuing. Other research pointed to a million or more people out of work because of long COVID. So I mean, yeah, that's a lot. There's not even an agreement on the overall size of the whole, i.e. how many more Americans would be working in 2023 had it not been for the pandemic that's a problem because officials of the federal reserve need to know if u.s americans are temporarily or permanently out of the labor force so that they can set monetary policy those poor monetary policy policymakers said anna wong chief u.s economist at bloomberg economics quote it's a very confusing picture we don't even have good facts to work with with the jobless rate at a 53 year low and more employees on payrolls now than were before the pandemic, how can workers truly be missing? The labor force is the sum of employed and unemployed people, and some researchers point to an estimate made by Fed economists of how big it should be based on population trends. Assuming that people kept working at pre-pandemic rates, they projected a labor force of 168 million people by the end of 2022. In reality, the figure was around 165 million, arriving at a shortfall of roughly 3 million. Things got even muddier earlier this month when the Labor Department revised its December count of non-farm payrolls by more than 800,000 additional workers. So that 3 million person hole in the labor force actually may be a third smaller. What gives? Economists acknowledge that data about what motivates workers to drop out is hard to come by and that trends underpinning their research, like a drop in immigration, have changed over the pandemic's course. Finally, some workers may be counted more than once, like baby boomers who retired because of long COVID. The labor force participation rate, the share of the population that is working or looking for work, stands at 62.4%, stubbornly below its pre-COVID level of 63.3%. Had the average rate preceding the pandemic held, the labor force would have had 1.1 million more people in 2022, according to an outlook published by the Congressional Budget Office this month. I mean, so, okay, you're looking for 1.1 million people. I feel like that's not hard to account for, account for that between just long COVID and people dying, but okay. Um, several economists, though, have competing theories about how many missing workers there there are and where they went. Didem Tuzman, a senior economist at the Kansas City Fed, calculated in a report last October that there would be 2.4 million more people in the labor force had participation rates not slipped during the pandemic. Most of the missing workers are older Americans, she noted. Well, you know, who, who gets hit the hardest by COVID? While many older workers initially left the pandemic workforce out of health concerns, others chose to hang their hats for good. Fed Chair Jerome Powell has cited research by the central bank's economists that show, quote, excess retirements account for more than two million of the missing workers. But that hasn't been updated per the Labor Department's revision. So the Fed estimates that excess retirements are two million people. So in other words, older people near retirement age, um, again, exactly the kind of people you'd expect to get hit bad by COVID, um are you know retired to the tune of about two million more than usual. A higher than average number of deaths in recent years, mainly from COVID nineteen, accounts for around four hundred thousand of the labor force shortfall, according to the Fed. The pandemic killed many more people, about one point one million or has so far killed many more people uh, because that has not stopped. About one point one million but the majority were older and more likely to already be retired out of the workforce. Harvard University economist Raj Chetty and his colleagues tracked another category of missing workers in a recent paper, low-wage service workers who were displaced from their jobs early in the pandemic and then never came back. That's illustrated best by payrolls in sectors like leisure and hospitality and restaurants that still lag behind their pre-COVID levels. The researchers zeroed in on affluent areas in big cities like New York where office uh, office staff stopped getting haircuts and eating out because they were working from home. Those neighborhoods are the most likely to still be missing low-income workers today. Elsewhere, University of California Davis economists found that immigration slowed to a trickle during lockdowns. This led to 2 million fewer working age immigrants in the US by 2021 than if the historic trend had continued. While that could have made up a big chunk of missing workers at the height of the pandemic, immigration has since picked up likely plays a smaller role in America's worker shortage today, Davis professor Giovanni Perry said. Last screen. Finally, Americans suffering from long COVID are an underappreciated culprit in the missing worker mystery, according to Katie Bach, a non-resident fellow at the Brookings Institution. Last August, she estimated that long COVID reduced the U.S. labor force by the equivalent of 1.6 million people, when accounting for those who either worked fewer hours so it went from full-time to part-time or left entirely that's probably down now to somewhere in the range of 500,000 to 1 million box said quote i don't have my boxing gloves on and i won't say that anyone is wrong said michael stepner an assistant economics professor at the university of toronto who co-wrote the paper with chetty we all want a simple one-line explanation but i think this is a puzzle that has many pieces well we've been covering this again since last year there have been articles and studies about how long COVID is driving like uh, a lot of the unfilled jobs. So that's not a new thing. Um, While we're in here, let's just get to a couple of other things. Um, Actually, you know what? Let's not, I'll do it in a big sweep at the end. But anyway, um, I know that doesn't directly answer the question, but let's get back into the chat and see what else we can flesh out from the discussion. Yeah, I mean, that is not based on any sound economic analysis. Money is meant to be spent. Yeah, the people protesting that are very likely to have, like, a. to be very misinformed in the first place. That's kind of a stab in the dark at uh, people sat at home buying stuff online causing inflation. Um, not really. I mean, the other thing is that, like, were people just sitting at home buying stuff online? Because what I remember. Um, especially during 2020, was a lot of people, you know, there was a uh, a mortgage, like foreclosure moratorium, because people were struggling to pay their mortgages. This wasn't like uh, this big, you know, prosperous boom time, where people were just um, spending, you know, readily. So yeah, I think that those people were just kind of (laughs) making shit up. Uh, it's, It's vibes based economics. Uh, If there's going to be revolution in the next five years, it's going to be from places like Swaziland. First world people don't believe in revolution. They will protest, but that is it. Now, let me just ask you, what do you get out of making a statement like that? I'm not saying you're wrong, but uh, people are just so adamant. um, You know, at this point, yes, I mean, the French protest a lot and hasn't resulted in a revolution so far. Um, but I'm not sure that statements like that actually encourage anyone to test the waters for support for said revolution. So I just, again, I'm not saying that, uh, you're you know, oh no, France, for example, is definitely going to have a revolution, I'm not saying that, but we do want them to, and we, we want to encourage, uh, people to adopt a revolutionary position and to take the protests, beyond protests into revolt. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just don't know what people get exactly out of those. It's, it, um, I don't know if this is sort of trying to temper expectations or, or, or what, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect it out of the U S for example, but, um, then again, as soon as people in twenty twenty didn't have to go to work, there were like mass protests every day now, where that crosses the barrier where people just start doing that, even when they you know when the economy isn't in a big shutdown, we haven't crossed that threshold yet but it it's not impossible um I hear you I mean there's tons of people out there who believe in you know reform and don't believe in revolution. I'm just I'm just a little tired of hearing it, I guess, you know, as somebody who does try to get up and do content related to this every week, it's just, uh, I don't know, it seems seems a bit pessimistic to me, I know where you're coming from, but um, I don't know, I just wonder, ultimately, how much these statements actually serve us. Uh, is Graham Elwood the finance guy that always has his mouth open in each one of his thumbnails? I don't know who you're talking about, but I don't think that's Graham Elwood, no. After understanding imperialism, the 19th and 20th century make much more sense. Absolutely. There was direct U.S. intervention in Greece during the Civil War after the U.K. backed off. yeah. There have been many reports, including one about the egg monopoly of the U.S. that made a 700-fold year-on-year profit by artificially causing a, quote, shortage of eggs and raising prices. That's what I was saying is, like, these companies that are claiming, like, shortages, um, they're also claiming record profits, so I would be somewhat skeptical of their claims. Um, I see what you're saying. This is in regard to China benefiting from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but I think that China has already gotten whatever they could have out of the invasion, a stronger relationship, penetration into Russia and destabilization of their rivals broadly. Now, my point is, um, if Russia were to make peace with Ukraine, pull back the invasion, and then the sanctions and the boycotts by Western capital against Russia were to subside then western capital would be back into russia picking up where it left off and chinese capital would not have those opportunities so that's what i'm saying George Orwell, 19, four, 1984 versus Brave New World. Yeah, there's, there are still people walking around where that's the extent of their sort of political ideology. Uh, my mother, who is in her late 60s, when she talked about her time in West Germany... ...said she remembered a lot of armed guards everywhere. It was very militarized. George Snorwell. How have I never heard that before? campism is kind of a weird term nowadays because campism implies that there's a socialist camp for us to support, which there isn't. It's is just two capitalist camps people support. Yeah, I, I think of it as kind of like degenerated campism because for exactly that reason. The socialist camp, uh, you can go back. So Stalin had a piece in 1919, the end of World War One, talking about, it's a very short piece. We have it on the channel. There are now two camps, the imperialist camp and the socialist camp, and this is the dawning of a new age, et cetera. And um, so in other words, when looking at class struggle, there was a new dimension opened up because we're no longer talking about just class struggle within a country, but sort of um, international conflict also being a, a type of class struggle because you had a you know the USSR led by a different class than the imperialist countries. But, um, you know, that there was a lot of people who kind of just stayed at that level, like uh, didn't look any further as far as, you know, is the USSR um, revisionist, are they still upholding that? And so anyway, not to get into all the details of that, but now we're at a point where it's just, um, as you said, you know, there's not even really that, that socialist camp has degenerated to the point where it can hardly be called that, and yet people are still behaving as though that kind of uh, international struggle can be a stand-in for class struggle on a, on a world scale. Um, most of these people seem to me to be right-wingers trying to sell you something, so... Uh, From what I can remember, real Marxist-Leninists in the USSR made up only a minority of the party membership. The rest were liberals, nationalists, revisionists, etc. I mean, it does seem that, you know, when the counter-revolution came, the USSR population was certainly not well-prepared to hang on to socialism, for sure. So, you know, as I remarked in the Black Black Shirts and Reds video, it's like, what were they teaching people? Alright, catching up with the chat here, and then we're going to do um, the last few articles quickly, and then that will be it for today. Not going to be so much of a marathon today, but... If you're a pro-Russia Marxist, then I'm a married bachelor. Well, you know, as many people have said, you know, you're not being dialectical. Or, uh, it's dialectical, you see. Which is usually code for, like, I'm about to say, like, you're not being tolerant enough of my nonsense. Um, no, it's not 40 d chess, and, yeah, the whole, like, you know, the, the, the weakening imperialism or whatever. Just, I don't know, th- these people, like talk about class struggle i mean that's if they continue to take revolution and class struggle just out of the equation I, i'm i'm beyond the point now where i can even i'm just exasperated with the whole thing so i've i've kind of said my piece about that at this point yeah no war but class war absolutely um, it's the only war that we're actually you know benefit anything out of um, that was badly said but I think you get the idea I still wear a mask everywhere I go and I still get funny eyebrow raised looks from people well you know the j- jokes on them unfortunately because uh, hopefully it you know it's dawning on some of those people as they give you those looks of like wait a minute did I not get the memo? Should I, should I be wearing one of those? <laughs> Had a customer say some absolutely stupid stuff a few weeks ago about my mask, saying, you don't need the mask, we are all infected. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, this isn't, uh, this isn't The Walking Dead. <laughs> we all have it. Um, no, no, that's not really how this virus works. You can get reinfected on like a monthly basis. How did masking become a political issue? Well, it's politicized to different extents in different countries. In the more right-wing countries, it tends to be more politicized. But there were other countries where it just wasn't that politicized in the first place. So in the U.S., it's politicized because the U.S. is fucking insane, you know? I mean, you all know, I'm not going like to break down every detail of it. The shorthand is the U.S. is like, you know, um, just foaming at the mouth. Fascists are, uh, you know, at the, the standing in front of the levers of power in many places. And, you know, it's the, anything to avoid facing the real problems. So they get all hyped up on the masks or whatever else. And it's blatantly anti-scientific stuff. I don't know how people even believe most of the stuff in the first place, but... It is self-destructive. Okay, Kanichiwa. you really need to stop on the Russia stuff. Just telling you now. French people need to start demanding their government stop taxing former French colonies. I would support that a hundred percent. Is are there any political factions in France doing that that we could perhaps elevate? I don't know. Oh yeah, the the yellow shirt, the, the yellow vest movement in France that has a lot of populist uh, like I think that a lot of the Le Pen supporters are in that yellow vest movement um, so yeah you're right It's there. There is. that's why I was saying uh, the protests if the left wing were to be successful there would be a lot of sabotage by the right wing quote populists so absolutely it's not like the situation in France is all leading in one direction there's a lot of like neo-fascists as well who consider themselves, quote, anti-establishment and so on. So people <clears throat> do need to keep that in mind when you're observing the French protests and things. However, there's a lot of um, trade union involvement. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's not just free-floating neo-fascists, for example. You know, there, there's actually roots in the masses here. Well, I'll see if I can dig more into this. Um, I'm not even sure of good sources on that off the top of my head. But, um, you know, uh, see if we can get a political breakdown somewhere. If anyone listening to this on YouTube after the fact um, has some recommendations, I'd be happy to take a look at them for covering them. Uh, Powerful Finger. There's my thoughts on ideology. That's very, very broad. Um, I'm going to save your comment for later and see if I can do something with that, but I, I can't, uh, I can't really answer that right now. Uh go over articles about the nature of settler colonialism on stream um i don't uh i don't see why not i don't i don't have anything sort of um i feel like that is a topic that gets kind of discussed a lot um on not necessarily marxist leninist channels It's not a topic that especially calls to me in that I think it's almost self-explanatory, so, um, and there's other channels covering it kind of ad nauseum, so I don't know if there's something specific you have in mind, but um, to me, it it seems covered, but yeah. All right, let's, uh, I've actually caught up with the chat, so let us um, delve into the last few COVID articles. This is kind of a grab bag of stuff, so... I'm just going to go for it. Um, now, where were we? So let's start with a general. Here's Biobot. B-I-O-B-O-T dot I-O slash data. This is COVID-19 wastewater monitoring. And this was updated on Monday from samples collected during last week. Um, the charts get revised from time to time, even after, if, after that. So the good news for now is that COVID is at its lowest level in a year the bad news is it's probably not going to stay there but for excuse me right now with the hiccups or something um for right now uh people in many counties are experiencing the lowest amount of covid exposure that they're getting again though this is being driven by XBB.1.5 that is the variant that is driving this and it's been peaking for like a few weeks now which means that it's going to be overtaken by a new variant and there's kind of two contenders. We covered this, I think, two streams ago. Um, XBB 0.1.16 and XBB 0.1.9.1. Those um, are the two variants right now that have a growth advantage over XBB 1.5 and are likely to overtake it in the coming weeks, maybe sometime in May. So you can see like last year in April and May, you had that upward trending thing. And then by June, it kind of leveled off and it was into the plateau that we basically saw up until basically last month or so. So there's an enormous amount of COVID still circulating in the wastewater, which how does it get in the wastewater? Because it gets excreted from people's bodies, meaning it's circulating in the population. So, um, even with cases not even being counted, let's zoom in here. Where is my zoom in? Yeah, here's the six weeks. So even with cases not really being counted, um, earlier this month, we had like a week long period where there were a hundred thousand cases a day in the U.S. a day. So that's a million in 10 days, cases of COVID and, um, that's you know keep in mind most of the cases are not being counted so this is like not a good situation in any way COVID is not over again right now it's in a lull here it is by region and this is also on the six-week time scale Um, it is like dropping at the moment but the Midwest you can see that purple line It's just come down from over 400. Kind of like 800 to 1,000 is a lot, is like surge levels. So right now it's, you know, at a half or a third of that. And I mean, that's good for now. Don't stop masking, don't stop protecting yourself. But it is a relative lull. But again, we had this last year and then it came back. And everything this year so far points to it's going to keep coming back until we make it stop coming back. And here's what I was saying about the variants. This is COVID uh, variant trends over time. That dark purple that is currently, you know, taking up over like 90% of the uh, of the thing. That is the XBB related variants, and that includes both the dominant XBB point one point five and the incoming. XBB.1.9.1. 1. 1. The other one, the XBB.1.16, 1. 1. is uh, I think originating out of India. That's where the big first big big outbreak of that is happening. Um, it is in the U.S., but I don't think that there's a big outbreak of it in the U.S. yet. However, both strains seem to have a um, <clears throat> growth advantage relative to the 1.5, and should overtake it at some point. Uh, just hasn't quite happened yet. So, uh, but that's, you know, that's what we see is these strains every few months it mutates and and there's a new strain coming in to take the place of the last one. And then there's a big outbreak and there's a lot of new cases and this and that. Uh, What else do we have here? Something about T cells. So Anthony J. Leonardi, uh, if you're interested in COVID, definitely follow at fitter, sorry, fitter happier AJ is the handle. Um, This is a guy who did his doctoral thesis, I think, on something related to T-cells, I forget off the top of my head, but um, knows what he's talking about when it comes to COVID, has been fighting for um, awareness that SARS-2 attacks and kills T-cells, causes T-cell exhaustion and depletion, and that was pushed back on by many mainstream sources. He has continued to fight for it. And now it's being more widely um, recognized. So the Dana-Farber Institute writes that T-cell exhaustion is seen in SARS coronavirus 2. It's accepted that there is T-cell exhaustion from COVID. So that certain person messaging people that I was wrong is wrong. Added to the T-cell harm that is now accepted. So you can see the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute saying, quote, exhaustion is not only seen in cancer-fighting T-cells, but is also frequent in the setting of viral infections such as human immunodeficiency virus or hiv hepatitis b and c viruses and covid 19 sars coronavirus 2. so they said there wasn't t cell exhaustion they said that it wasn't harming cd8 t cells they said that herd immunity would be achieved wrong on all counts i applaud this guy for sticking it out and full support what else do we have? Um, risk for stillbirth among pregnant individuals with SARS coronavirus 2 infection varied by gestational age. So we know that there is a risk of harm to, uh, you know, to babies in the womb basically. Um, there is placental damage that can occur due to SARS 2 infection Anyway, what this study went into, it aimed to examine the association between the timing of a SARS-2 infection during the pregnancy and then the risk of stillbirth. So stillbirth is when the baby is born dead. Um, And it's a horrible situation, but that's what it is. So they weren't um, studying, in other words, all of the possible harms that can occur during gestation, just specifically that outcome of, you know, of being DOA, basically. So, um, what did they find? They found that uh, there were a number of risk factors, basically, older age, black race, hypertension, acute respiratory distress syndrome, or acute respiratory failure, and placental abruption were found to be consistently associated with stillbirth across different trimesters. The conclusion of the study is that basically, increased risk of stillbirth associated with COVID-19 only when pregnant individuals were infected during early and mid-pregnancy and not at any time before the delivery or during the third trimester, suggesting the potential vulnerability of the fetus to sars coronavirus 2 infection in early pregnancy. Our findings underscore the importance of proactive COVID-19 prevention and timely medical intervention for individuals infected with sars Coronavirus 2 during early and mid-pregnancy. So this is not hugely surprising um, in that, you know, when the fetus is much smaller and less fully formed, it uh, tends to be more susceptible and vulnerable to a wide range of things. Um, toxins in the diet, like all kinds of things, just hit harder when the baby is not well formed yet. So so it is with SARS-2 as well. There's an increased risk of stillbirth um, if the mother is infected um, early when the fetus is still basically in the first half of um, development in the womb. So yet another risk of SARS-2. Now here's another one that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it is on all the symptom lists. Pathogenicity, that would be the generation of disease, patho means disease, gin means create, of SARS coronavirus 2, did I say that right? SARS coronavirus 2, viral components on human periodontal tissues, that would be like your gums, peri meaning around, dental meaning teeth, around your teeth, tissues and cells. And in a recent study posted to the Research Square preprint server, so it is still a preprint, hasn't been fully reviewed yet and under review at cell death and disease, researchers assessed the impact of coronavirus disease 2019, aka COVID-19, on fibrotic pathogenesis. That would be the creation of diseases relating to fibroids or like, you know, um, some kind of pathogenic uh, fiber accumulation in the tissue via the deregulation of mitochondrial beta-oxidation. So, you may all remember mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. And um, so basically, SARS-2 can deregulate mitochondrial beta-oxidation, resulting in fibrotic disease in the gum. So you can get pretty severe gum disease, actually, from SARS-2. Add it to the long list of things. Heart attacks, strokes, your teeth fall out, your hair falls out, whatever. So the study showed that ACE2... That's the receptor that um, SARS-2 seems to prefer infecting us through. Studies showed that ACE2 and TMPRSS2 were significantly expressed within the gingiva epithelium and PDL cells. So gingiva epithelium. Epithelium is connective tissue, and so they're talking about the gums here, like, you know, gingivitis, inflammation of the gums. In addition, epithelial cells as well as PDL fibroblasts So remember, blast means create, clast means destroy. So fibroblast is cells that create fibroids. Uh, uh, Exhibited constant uh, uh, TMPRSS2 and ACE2 expression. I put an extra S in there. Under both natural growth conditions and lentiviral mediated ACE2 overexpression. What does that mean? So both under the normal conditions in your gums. And when you take gum tissue at a lentivirus, which creates ACE2 overexpression, so it makes even more ACE2 receptors than there would normally be, and they probably did that for experimental purposes, a strong relationship between the spike protein of the virus and the cells could be observed. The study confirmed that SARS coronavirus 2 could directly infect PDL fibroblasts. At six hours of infection of the PDL cells, only membrane protein significantly promoted cell proliferation, although at 48 hours, envelope as well as membrane proteins. So you get spike protein, membrane protein, envelope protein, these are all things on the virus. Both increased the BRDU incorporation index. On the other hand, spike protein was incapable of modulating cell growth. At 48 hours, the data suggested that only the membrane and envelope, but not the spike or nucleocapsid, promoted apoptosis. Apoptosis is programmed cell death. Additionally, only the membrane and envelope protein cohorts led to a considerable rise in senescent or dying cells at 6 and 48 hours. So the conclusion anyway, we'll skip the technical stuff. Overall, the study findings presented a unique mechanistic understanding how SARS-CoV-2 infection can impair human health at the cellular and molecular levels particularly in generating fibrosis. The researchers believe that the present findings could be applied to various body systems to explain and investigate the pathogenesis and therapy of uh, fibrosis. So kind of breaks down your gums and replaces them with uh, fibrous tissue, which isn't really the kind of structure that you need in large amounts in in that uh, area of your body. Now, what else do we have here? Um, Inflammation is culprit behind long COVID study suggests, this is from UW Medicine Newsroom, February 24, about six weeks ago. Murine research indicates that the S1 protein, that would be the spike protein, is a gatekeeper for how the SARS-Coronavirus-2 virus crosses the blood-brain barrier. There is an image of the coronavirus with the S1 protein appearing as the flower-like structures on its surface. Beautiful. Um, Dr. William Banks had a case of COVID-19, that beautiful but deadly, that carried some hallmarks of long COVID, a debilitating version of the virus that lingers for months and raises risk of long-term impairment. Quote, I couldn't remember things, and I lost my ambition to remember, Banks said. The two together were terrible. So um, SARS coronavirus 2 causes inflammation in the brain. That's the critical point, said Banks. Basically, the S1 protein, either by itself, so it can break off and just circulate, or connected to the virus, gets into the brain and you're off to the races. It starts creating inflammation. It may make, uh, if you have Alzheimer's and other cognitive diseases, you seem to be at particular risk when the S1 protein, either by itself or attached to the virus, crosses into the brain. It may make it worse, bring it on sooner, or it may cause its own version of cognitive impairment alongside the Alzheimer's or other cognitive disease. By analogy, that's what diabetes does. It increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease, and it also creates its own version of cognitive impairment. This sort of ups the odds that something like this could happen with SARS coronavirus 2. It's just a flu. It's just a cold. Banks said that next steps for study include examining animals to see what the long-term effects of inflammation are on a brain that's been infected with COVID-19 for longer periods. Months translate to years in the brains of mice, for example, allowing a more advanced understanding of the disease. The researchers also want to test candidate drugs that might block or prevent certain kinds of neuroinflammation. Finding the source of brain inflammation amid the quickly advancing understanding of mechanisms for dementia diseases raises an alarm. Quote, I think the other big concern is that we're showing that the Alzheimer's disease model has a lot more inflammation. So the study is really kind of advancing all the things that we had feared. But on the other hand, if it's true that brain inflammation is the culprit, culprit, excuse me, which we also think is the culprit for cognitive impairment and brain injury and football injuries and everything else. So you've maybe heard about football players that get that concussive syndrome from like getting knocked in the head repeatedly. Well, what happens? The brain gets injured. You get sort of Inflammation off of that, causing again cognitive impairment because that's what your brain is doing, cognition. Then we're a little bit closer to figuring out what needs to be studied. Let me just add to that: inflammation is definitely one of the components, but there are there's evidence for a variety of things contributing to long COVID. Um, there's another channel on YouTube, Gez Mettinger, G E Z Metinger, uh, M E D I N G E R that covers long COVID. I haven't checked in with them in a while, but They had a lot of good stuff, um, highlighting that there's like half a dozen possible and even probable sources of COVID-19, including inflammation, um, persistent viral infection, uh, disruption of the gut microbiome, causing all kinds of mayhem. Um, Also, reactivation of latent viruses that are still in the body but have gone dormant. And then COVID uh, basically creates conditions where they wake up. There's a variety of things that are probably all contributing along COVID. Inflammation is definitely one of them, though. All right, what else do we have here? Um, COVID 19 vaccination linked to fewer cardiac events. This was the first study published here, uh, talking about it in Science Daily. First US study to show a lower risk in patients following SARS coronavirus 2 infection. Summary Analyzing the most extensive data sets in the US, researchers have revealed that vaccination against COVID 19 is associated with fewer heart attacks, strokes, and other cardiovascular issues among people who are infected with SARS coronavirus 2, the virus that causes COVID 19. Not going to go all the way through this one. We've covered multiple articles that show that, um, you know, whether it's the myocarditis or a variety of things, the vaccine does show a strongly protective effect. Um, despite the anti-scientific nonsense that the anti-vaxxers say. Um, here's just another piece of evidence to uh, support that conclusion. What else do we have here? Um, what was I looking at here? Oh, this is not related to COVID, but um, I have a whole article. Maybe we can get into this another time. The CDC team that was studying the health impacts of that Ohio the bomb train that blew up with all the chemicals, or was blown up, rather, um, with all the chemicals. The CDC team that went there to study the effects got sick while they were investigating. That's how bad it is out there in East Palestine. All right, uh, moving on to the next and I think last thing here. No, there's one more thing I wanted to mention. So, monkeypox investigation, as new cluster sparks fears of possible mutation. Concern grows over drug resistance after latest infections were detected among vaccinated individuals. Harriet Barber, this is just from two days ago. So um, investigation has been launched in France after 59% of people in a new monkeypox cluster or MPOX, they're calling it also now, uh, claim to be fully vaccinated. While the jab does not offer complete protection against the disease, usually only 25% of French cases are in vaccinated individuals. So you have an unusual amount of um, vaccinated people still getting the thing anyway. So did the uh, virus mutate? What's going on there? All right. Actually, I'm going to have to call it here because I do have to get going. Um, I want to thank the patrons for today. I apologize to everybody who uh, has posted things in the comments. I will collect the comments uh, from the last like 15 minutes or whatever and get to them later. I don't know if I'll be able to do another stream this week, but we will cover that. Uh, but patreon.com slash socialism for all. Uh, this one is actually up to date. So I appreciate everybody giving the support. I am able to spend much more time on this than I'd be able to do without that support and pulling all the articles and all the things that need to be done. Thank you very much. Thank you to the people who showed up in the chat on Twitch today, including the moderators to keep things in line. Uh, you all helped to make the chat what it is and to make these final posted videos on YouTube what they are.